Welcome to the third Get Illuminated podcast, uh, and uh, this is Mark Fraunfelder, and I have Boing Boing co-editor David Peskovitz with me, and we have uh, our friend and uh, and uh, excellent author of fiction and nonfiction, Rudy Rucker, with us. How are you doing, Rudy? Hi, Mark. Hi, David. I'm doing. Hi, Rudy. Nice to nice to be in cyberspace here with you guys. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking when I was like getting ready to to do this interview. The first time I interviewed you was like in probably 1990 uh, or 89, and uh, I w- was uh, I got a little tape recorder and I was doing it on my lunch hour at at the. That's right. I still remember, and I I remember thinking this is the greatest interview I've ever done. I can't <laughs> wait. To- <laughs> That's funny. But the funny thing that happened um, was that I recorded it on my little tape recorder, and for some reason the fluorescent lights messed up the recording so I couldn't hear your answers but I kind oh, really? yeah I've kind yeah, of rem- we were, but we were outside we were at uh we were in South Park in San Francisco right near Wired that was a different interview this was when I was in I did it on the phone oh and okay yeah this was a long I was in Colorado and oh, and I called one, you yeah. when you were in you know uh, yeah. well you you've been loyal over the years going yeah. back to the your print boing boing day. yeah this is yeah well, I think I think I found out about Rudy from the uh print issues of Boing Boing is how I got turned on to, or maybe through the Subgenius crew, I can't remember which. So I transcribed the interview, I just like wrote down what I remembered your answers to be and I printed it out on my dot matrix printer and just sent you, you know, this long Uh like sheet and you you wrote notes in the margins. You have a really interesting editing style that I like where you just circle things, kind of like a flowchart. But anyway, it all turned out to be a good interview and I think it's in the second issue of Boing Boing, which is available as a PDF now. But anyway, yeah. it was fun. On the Boing Boing Emporium, yeah. 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 Uh, re- so, I think now that you mentioned it, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that Boing Boing's done so well. I, I remember when you were starting it, I thought, you know, what is Mark talking about? Why, why would people, how could he make money doing a blog, and what is a blog anyway? <laughs> well, we didn't expect to make money from it, you know. It's just like a. Yeah. It, it ended up, we're getting, you know, Compensated yeah. for doing something that's fun, which is, which is great. So, so yeah. h- how are you enjoying your retirement? Well, it's it's nice because uh, I really writing is the thing I enjoy doing the most. And although I, I did enjoy teaching and I enjoyed the having to learn new things and organize my thoughts and the contact with the students, uh, I r- always enjoyed writing more. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, uh, yeah. And, that's and so that now that's all I do, and I, I find I'm writing faster, or you know, getting more words per year written, and maybe you know, I feel like maybe it's getting a little better because I'm I'm focused on it a little bit more. That's cool. I, I also notice that uh, you're doing an awful lot of paintings, and I think you're getting to be better as a painter too. Are you spending more time with that? I am painting more than I used to. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that's. Uh, at this point, it's still sort of a Sunday painter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I don't know. Maybe down the line, I might try to get a show somewhere. That would be so cool. That would be a lot of fun, yeah. I want to buy one right. of your paintings. <laughs> well, L.A. would be the place to have a show because there's a lot of people there and, and yeah. with money. I mean, San Francisco is really too, almost too small a town to have a show. Yeah, in San Francisco, we all appreciate the art, but nobody wants to pay for it. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, I have, I have some. I mean, Coop is down there, and he he gets gallery shows. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, and definitely. And he knows this scene pretty well. Yeah. And I had to, but at present, I'm still, I've been asking Coop about it, and he says, well, sure, if you want to break your heart in a whole new way. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, at present, it's still, well, there's always, whenever you're an artist, you know, there's always a bit, the hassle of the commerce, and like with my writing, it's, particularly when you're doing stories, like, that's why I prefer novels to stories, because there's so much energy goes into trying to sell it, and uh, mm-hmm. that's it's it's kind of nice at present the way I'm painting where I just paint it and it's fun and I put it on my wall. And <laughs> yeah, no more. Yeah. yeah, I I uh, have I have an art show coming up, my first painting show in uh, November. Well, yeah, you've always been quite an artist, wow. And so, but you know, the, I I realize it's so. There's so much involved with the physical aspect of, you know, like taking it down to the framer and then creating it and shipping it and, you know, yes. it's... Uh, I was thinking if, if I painted the edges of my canvases, maybe I wouldn't have to do frames. Yeah, well, you don't, you don't have to unless the edges of your canvas have staples on them, then you do need frames, yeah, but yeah. otherwise you don't. Yeah, I always, I always like to spring for the, the extra, the canvases that don't have the staples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is going to be in the archival museum. Yeah, of course. That's cool. so, Rudy. You you have a couple new books out. Um, one's a collection of speaking of short stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, uh, it's called Mad Professor. Right, which ironically is the name of Mark's uh, science experiment books for kids. <laughs> so there's another commonality. When when is that book coming out, Mad Professor? It's. Uh, I think the pub date is January 2007, but usually they would start shipping a little bit earlier. It'd probably be some of them in the stores in December. Now uh, these have never these have these have never been published, or some of them have, or never been collected. They've never been in an anthology. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've all been published in one form or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I sometimes have. My fiction is, you know, as you know, you, you read my stuff. It's it's not always exactly to the norm of, of what you'd expect to see in a science fiction magazine. So <laughs> right. Some of my things. I mean, I do have some things come out in Asimov's now and then, but some of my stories have just come out in fairly obscure places, like well, InfiniteMatrix.net, or uh, or, or even there was one story I couldn't sell. And I got so annoyed, I started my own webzine to put it in. That was yeah. Flurb. <laughs> Flurb, yeah, that's, that was, is that the reason you decided to create Flurb, was because you couldn't get a story published that you liked? Well, that was it, because I had Mad Professor coming out, and that's a matter of pride you sort of like for each story in there to have some tagline on it, that it, it came out somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> that one story didn't have anything, and the thing is, I could have gotten it published, but at that point... There's a time factor, too, because I had just written it in August, and so it had to be somebody who would publish it in a month. And there were some people that would have published it, but not for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And so so that's it was a combination of things. But that's then it was fun doing Flurb, Flurb.net. And yeah. I, I'll do another issue uh, pretty, well, maybe in November. That's I'm good. Quarterly. Yeah. And, and you have another... Uh, uh, you know, novel coming out as well, Mathematicians in Love. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, that's my my sort of big effort. It's, uh, in a way, it's, I was thinking, I, I sort of haven't written kind of a, uh, quote, real science fiction novel in a while, because 
Well, Frecking and the Elixir was a science fiction novel, but in some ways it was uh, it was tr- it was trying to be a book for for younger people. Right. So, and uh, before that, uh, Saucer Wisdom was kind of a, a very strange book, and Spaceland was sort of a real science fiction novel, but it, it had drawings in it. So I'm, I'm hoping Mathematicians in Love will kind of kindle the you know it's a straight shot to the you know good old rock and roll science fiction market. Yeah, it, it uh, you know, just uh, kind of reading about it and, and your notes on it and stuff, it, it reminds me in some way of kind of uh, uh, White Light or something. It's, you know, it's like kind of a return to that. It, it, well, I, it is. It's a type of, of book. It's a kind of move that I end up doing a lot where I'll have some some not too well recognized, somewhat marginal scientific person in this case he's a mathematics graduate student and then something comes up that enables him to leave this world and he goes to some other higher world and then you know all sorts of strange events unfold and then he comes back to this world and that's a sort of it's sort of almost like a monomyth type pattern mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. the hero goes to, to, to fetch something from the higher world and brings it back and I was thinking the reason that I use that pattern, I just something I just sort of understood recently, it describes what I myself am doing when I write a novel, because I'm, you know, in my average life, and then I always want, I'm always looking for ways to escape, and for me, when I write a novel, I'm escaping into this other world. So the, actually, me writing a novel is the same as my character. Yeah, it's like meta-transrealism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, how is your you know writing? Do you think the subjects have evolved um, in your fiction? You know, since since some of the earlier work and and white light. You know, I mean, you're still sort of playing with multiple levels of of reality in a way. And you know, I don't, I don't know about the new book yet, but mm-hmm. um, are there some real themes that you've seen or threads that just continue through your work? Well, there's the the one I was just mentioning. Uh, another thing that I I like to have romance, mm-hmm. and it's something I'd like to think I'm getting a little better at that. It's uh, uh, when you're starting as a writer, it's hard to really round out any character, except you know one or two types. And now I, I think I'm able to have a wider range of types of people, and I think I'm getting a little bit better at, at having woman characters than I used mm-hmm. to be. So one of the main characters in, in White Light is a, I mean, excuse me, in Mathematicians in Love is a, a Vietnamese woman called Thuy Nguyen, which is, that's a very common name for Vietnamese women. It's it's almost like she was called Mary Smith, <laughs> Thuy Nguyen. And, uh, but it's, it was really fun developing her character. And what, that's where teaching computer science at San Jose State was a, a big help because I hung around a lot with Vietnamese people. Yeah, you had a Vietnamese woman character in Spaceland, too, right? Mm. Uh, was there one in Spaceland? I know I've had one somewhere else. Yeah, uh, she worked in a Indian. restaurant. Yeah, she was Indian in Spaceland, because I also had a lot of Indian women students. I mean, really, working at San Jose State, it was sort of a, a gold mine for adding diversity to mm-hmm. the characters, because... You know, the students would come in and talk to me in my office at great length, and so 
I, that would ingrain into my mind their speech patterns, and that's uh, there's another aspect of that. I, I've always liked the idea of you know what would I talk to the aliens about, and one of the things that mathematicians in love they go meet some aliens and they're talking about mathematics because there's this idea that that would be something that you would have in common with aliens. So mm-hmm. Perhaps that's debatable, actually. But <laughs> but they have these, these mathematician cockroaches from Galaxy Z that they're hanging out with, and cone shells, and it, it was it was fun. That sounds <laughs> cool. Speaking so- of communicating um, with, with aliens, um, you know, m- both of us, we, Mark republished White... Uh, white light when he was at Hardwired, which also published my book Reality Check. But um, Mark told me a story about um, you know when you had initially sort of conceived of the Soster Wisdom book, um, of sort of an experience or experiment that you took to to Hardwired. And I don't know if you want to retell the story or Mark does, but I it, that's, yeah, that's a good story. One thing. I, just as an aside here, I'm hearing when you talk, I'm hearing a, a lot of crackle in your voice, and I wonder if if what what you're recording there. I mean, if my voice really totally sounds bad, I, I, maybe we should pause for a second, and you should. Um, see what you I'm not say. hearing much crackle in in David's voice, and uh, um, your voice sounds good, and I'm the one who's doing the recording, so I think it'll I'll okay, be you know, it'll right. be like whizzy wigger. Okay. What you okay, hear yeah. is what you get. Yeah, Hopefully. <laughs> Okay, well, getting yeah the the story, yeah the saucer wisdom story. That's a that's a very funny story. Uh, maybe uh, I'll, maybe I'll start telling it, and you can break in, Mark. Yeah, sure. Because uh, yeah, Wired was going to start a line of books called Hardwired, and Mark was saying, well, you have all these great ideas about the future. Uh, I think maybe I'd written something in Mondo where it was. So I had some futuristic ideas in there. It was in. And it was said, one of your zip columns for Boing Boing, actually. Was that it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you said, well, why don't you make a book length? Because it's almost. It was around 1999 when we had this idea, so this is a good time to do speculation about what's going to be coming in the, the coming coming hundred years. And so I sent Mark a bunch of ideas, and then he was. He said, well, you know, it'd be nice if there was some frame tale to describe how it is that you know these things about the future. Wasn't that it? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, and so then I said, well, I've got it. I'm going to have, I'm friends with a, a saucer abductee, and he's been to the future, and he's told me all this stuff. And Mark sort of started liking that idea. And then I was going to come in for a pitch meeting. And then as it happened, my college roommate, Greg Gibson, was visiting my house, and he... <laughs> He's a guy, uh, he's, he wears his hair long and he has a beard and he looks, he almost looks like some sort of, almost like a homeless veteran that you'd see panhandling. And a very Mm -hmm. intense, he has a very intense look in his eyes too. Yeah, yeah, it's almost demonic intensity. And so I I showed up to the meeting, well maybe you tell this part. Uh, Yeah, so, so then, uh, Rudy shows up with this guy, you know, this intense kind of long, great beard guy with this kind of burning look in his eyes. And and Rudy said, you know, I, I brought him in because I, I have a confession to make that that this is th- th- my my neighbor, Frank Shook, really is the guy who has been feeding me these ideas all along. 
and so you know I wanted you to meet him because he's responsible for for you know the stuff that's going to be in this book and he he actually was abducted by a saucer and so you know everybody in the the wire offices came and you know we were like looking at him and thinking oh my god you know and we were wondering like <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean, we 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 pretty much believed Rudy thought what he was saying was true but we were kind of wondering you know like if, if Rudy had kind of gone off his rocker a little bit. Well, and I have to I have to add that that you may think that there were all kinds of unusual characters going in and out of the wired offices, and that was kind of true. But actually, hardwired is sort of this little office, tiny office itself had a relatively yeah. conservative tone to it. I think. Yeah. Um, and, and Greg was acting totally demented because you know I'd say, well, tell him a little, and he just said, I I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and then. <laughs> You know, makes a few really weird utterances, and then suddenly jumps up and says, "Look, I can't, I can't be here with these people, Rudy. I'll wait for you outside." <laughs> it was, a, it was a, as a great, it was a surreal experience, and I'm really glad, you know, that you did that because I love being yeah. pranked in that yeah. way. Yeah. And then the book, and then the book came out with with well, with then, uh, the. Yeah. Well, the book. Omar was even saying. Well, then, eventually, I told him that, you know, the, the truth, and then Mark, uh, Mark was saying, well, maybe we should market it, you know, as, as that you're really serious about this. The book's called Saucer Wisdom, and I kind of wrote the book as if it was true, and Frank Shook was a real person, and it, it just, it took on a life of its own, because then Greg started annoying me. He started <laughs> calling me up and making all these calls as if he was Frank Shook. And they started asking me for money. <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> so in the book, there's this real animosity that develops between me and Frank Shook, you know, where Frank Shook, like, steals my typewriter. And <laughs> you remind, you know, when you talk about Frank Shook, it reminds me of uh, the San Francisco character Frank Chu, who's the guy that walks around um, holding that protest sign talking about... 12 galaxies and you know all these these aliens that he's protesting against and everything like that he's sort of a yeah, local character yeah you gotta look up Frank yeah. Chu even on, on Wikipedia I think he has a yeah. huge page he's quite a character CHU yeah CHU they named a bar after him recently did they really? yeah 12 galaxies that's pretty funny and he's allowed to have free Budweiser so I think I got the name Shook because I almost got drafted into the Vietnam War, and there was a guy. Somebody made an impression on me. Another guy who was going through the physical, and his last name was Shook, and it just seemed like a funny last name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, and then Greg had said, "Well, he was going to be like my creation, Frankenstein." So I think that's where Frank came from. That's excellent. But, I yeah. love that story. So, uh, what's your typical day like now, Rudy? Um, well, on a, a good day, I'll get up and uh, I'll do do yoga in the backyard for half an hour. Or some mornings, if I have something that I've written, what I'll do is I'll print it out and then I'll, I'll go out in the backyard and lie in the sun on a, a mat and mark it up and then go back in and enter the changes and, you know, maybe... Make it a little longer, then print it, and then go in, out in the backyard and lie there. So that's that's a really pleasant day. Sometimes I'll do that until until early afternoon. Just do you get up early in the morning? Uh, oh, about eight o'clock. I don't mm -hmm. get up particularly early. 
I remember reading, um, I was either reading it or maybe Vale told me about that J.G. Ballard gets up very early and does his writing in the morning and then his entire afternoon is devoted to correspondence. And um, uh, yeah. I always do my writing in the morning, but I like that phrase, that word correspondence. <laughs> so, so now that's what I tell people. <laughs> the, what often happens, now that you mention correspondence, sometimes where it, it often happens that it's, I'm sort of not quite ready to start work, so then I'll do my e- email. And it, that can segue into quite a, a, an hour or two. Also, yeah. another thing that that I might do would be make a new blog entry. Mm-hmm. And that, that also takes, because I always have images. I take a lot of pictures with my, my camera, and then I have this like, little Sony pocket camera. And then I, you know, I'm usually Photoshopping them a little bit and uploading them and all of that. But I have that down, so it's pretty smooth. And then for the text, usually I'll just I'll take something out of my journal or what I've written recently. I, I, I don't usually write something new for the blog, though sometimes I will if I don't have any text around that I can cannibalize. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And it's then on a good day, I can get a thousand words written. That's if I do a thousand words, then I'm happy. That's a good day. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. then I'll go down to Los Gatos, uh, you know, maybe I'll go for a bike ride or I'll go to the coffee shop and take the longer print out and mark that up some more. And then it's uh, actually it's nice if I wake up in the morning and I have some marked up print out because uh, then I can sort of wade into the writing by entering the changes. Right. That's right. really cool that you're able to, uh, you know, do that because a lot of people when they, you know, like, don't do a day job anymore and they're like mm-hmm. confronted with a lot of free time mm-hmm. free time is often like harder to uh deal with than than work time because you know like like you're saying when you were a professor uh yeah, you have to organize your notes and your your thinking has to be ordered but when it's all wide open like that um you really have well, to it, be disciplined yeah well in some ways my writing it's like a trellis it's like when I'm between books, I do feel uh, it's like you've jumped off an ocean liner and it's sailed away and you're floating in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, what should I be doing? And it's you, when you're retired, you, or even if you're unemployed, you have to make a certain effort to see people. Because uh, that's one thing about if you have a job, you're thrown together with people, even if you're not all that crazy about them, but at least you're. You know, there's something about the the way we're wired. It, we we need to to physically see other people and interact with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have to, you know, make an effort to get out and see people. I think I think I'm the, the by never really having a job, a day job per se that I have to go to every day. I'm sort of just been practicing all along for. For the, and I've become quite a master quite a master at killing a day pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you you live in this in San Francisco, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a pretty good place to kill time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Plus, I like I mean, I you know, spending a lot of time reading books or things like that. Although now now I have a new baby too, so things are kind of uh, you know oh, yeah. sped up. <laughs> Everything's increased in speed. In getting well, yeah, I was done. looking at my my granddaughter, and it's hard to understand how we could have raised three children. It, 
It's so exhausting. Oh yeah, and pretty and pretty amazing creative family. I mean, uh, uh, your son Rudy, who's a I mean, all friends of ours, but your son Rudy has his uh, web company. Georgia, of course, with her amazing design and worked on the Happy Mutant Handbook. And then um, I'm not sure what Isabel is doing now, she, but she I know does she's jewelry, doing right? jewelry design is what yeah, my Isabel last saw. Yeah, does great jewelry, and she also draws a lot. She's she's mm-hmm. quite a good artist. And Sylvia's like the painter in the family, like the real one, right? Yeah, she teaches. Uh, well, she was. She's been teaching English as a second language mm-hmm. at Evergreen Community College for about twenty years. She's Amazing. Beginning to think about retiring. She's an excellent artist, though. Yeah, she is. A, a, she paints very well. Yeah, we're, we're pretty much all painters in the family. Yeah, that's so cool. Rudy hasn't picked it up yet. <laughs> you, you also spend a lot of time at the ocean, do, don't you? Like surfing and scuba and stuff. I really love the ocean. Uh, I, I wish I could say that I know how to surf, but I, I don't actually. But you I try, do don't you? I've tried it a few times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking maybe I'd actually take some lessons this summer. It's it's never too late to have a happy childhood, as they say. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> what are you working on now? Are you working on another book, or do you have several in progress? Well, I'm wrapping up a novel. It's called Post Singular, and this was sort of inspired. Uh, a book maybe you're familiar with by Charles Strauss called Accelerando. Mm-hmm. Sure. It was a, a length series I like of that. stories. Yeah, I, and I read it about a year and a half ago, and it, it made a big impression on me. Because before that, there'd been some science fiction writers or critics saying, well, we've got this singularity coming up where the machines are going to get as smart as we are, and it's singular in the sense that all the rules are going to change, and we can't even see past that, so science fiction is done, we're hitting a wall. You know, which, of course, that's, you know, that's not the right way to think about science fiction. If, mm-hmm. if we see a wall, it's an opportunity. You know, you, you clamber over it, and you just make up whatever you want on the other side of it. And, uh, and then Strauss went ahead and did that, very sort of, not making a fuss about it, just, you know, plowed right through it, just bulldozed right past the wall. <laughs> all this other cool stuff so then I thought well I want to write about that that era too this where we have this dramatic break in in technology and uh, there was one aspect that Strauss wrote about where he had this idea that you could have nanomachines eat the whole planet and turn the whole planet into this giant cloud of nanomachines and many of his characters were presenting this as if this was this good idea It's, it's sort of the ultimate you know, ultimate filling a wetland for a mall, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, to me, it seemed like an insane, evil idea. So that's the sort of one of the driving ideas in my book where there's there's some people, these sort of, you know, ultimate extropian transhumanists are sort of bent on on turning Earth into self reproducing nanomachines to make a a Dyson sphere that surrounds the sun, and it'll be running a quack-a-flop computation that... Quack-a-flop. We'll make a... Quack-a-bite, quack-a-flop. We'll make a virtual reality that's undistinguishable from the real thing, and we'll all get uploaded, and it will be happy forever. And That sounds fun. It, there's it, some peop- then there's some people that don't think that's a good idea. And, uh, and you know, I have actually... A lot of these things, the ideas I've been using lately come out of that nonfiction book I wrote about 
the philosophy of computer science. So um, mm-hmm. I don't think you actually could make it a virtual reality. That I think we're already the most efficient possible computation that the mass that is Earth could be doing. Mm-hmm. I, 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 Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I, I, I'd like to hear you talk about that because there was so much um, buzz around... Uh, the Stephen Wolfram book, which I won't even pretend that I've that I've read, but um, uh, from my understanding of what the book was about um, at its high level, it sounded to me like ideas that I had read from you, you know, many many years ago um, well, about the I've, universe as a simulation and yeah. Well, I've been a I've been a Wolframite for a long time. I first met Wolfram in the at the Institute for Advanced Studies in Princeton in the early 1980s mm. and actually I was there on a journalism gig because he wrote an article on Scientific American about his ideas and this was about 1984 I think and I used to write articles for I think there's a magazine called Science 85 I remember, I remember that yeah they're a good magazine but then Time Life bought them and closed them to, so that to give free reign to discover but uh so that, that then I met Wolfram, and, and you know it was sort of I clicked with him right away. I, I totally liked the way he thought, and uh, in fact that that was one of the things that motivated me to be- come to California and become a computer science professor because I wow. wanted to be able to, able to play with cellular automata, which are these these very cool graphical computation that Stephen likes to work with. How wow. how important was Edward Fredkin's? Uh, ideas to you and, and Wolfram. Who is it? Well, he to? was a pioneer, and he got the idea going. He was the first person to start saying maybe the universe is a cellular automaton, and that was a, a striking idea. But Fredkin, I've heard him talk. I, th- I guess maybe just once, and he doesn't. He sort of when you hear him give a lecture, he he doesn't make a very good impression, at least on me. Mm-hmm. He's somewhat, uh, almost like a crank. It's uh-huh. a very. Uh, so, I mean, a, a brilliant guy, but it's just, you know, you, you listen to me, you think, well, you know, this guy's kind of making it up as he goes along. Uh-huh. <laughs> when you hear Wolfram, he's, some some people don't don't like Wolfram, but I, I think it's, Wolfram is a very good speaker, I think. He's very convincing when you listen to him. Doesn't Fred can live on, like, some island, like, that he owns somewhere? He's, he like, used really to, rich. Yeah. yeah, I think it was called Mosquito Island in the Caribbean, and I think there was a, there's a guy called Wright who wrote a, a book called Three Scientists and Their Gods. That was a cool a book. Yeah, yeah, it was Richard Wright. Yeah. Actually, had later once, he wrote, Wright wrote some other book, or maybe it's that book. I think I reviewed that book in the Washington Post, and Wright didn't like my review, and he phoned me up and yelled at me. Wow. <laughs> that's, you're not supposed to do that. I know. Man. <laughs> you're not allowed to. Yeah, that's that. always a bad idea. Yeah, you're just supposed to take your lumps. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what other books have you been reading um, currently, Rudy? That have been of interest, either fiction or or nonfiction. Um. Well, you know, a lot of time I'm working on a novel, and what I do in the evening is lie on the couch with my laptop and rewrite the scene I'm working on. It's mm. Sort of. Years ago, there was a a cartoon, a. Uh, our crumb cartoon and there's it was called Joe Blow 
and this guy's sitting looking at a blank TV, and they say, why are you looking at a blank TV? And he says, because I can make up better shows myself. <laughs> I remember that one. That was funny. So, I, I don't read as much as you might think, uh, but what right. I've, I've read recently, actually yesterday, last week, I got out Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis for whatever reason, and I reread that. That was such a sad story. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, sort of, sort of a, in a way, funny at the beginning. He's lying on his back and he can't control his legs. I always loved that part. But uh, what book have I read recently? Gosh, uh, I'm sort of drawing a blank right now. How about any comic books or or uh, movies that you've enjoyed? Uh. I actually have a question about movies. I just saw that movie uh, with Jack Nicholson, The Departed. That was a pretty cool movie. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that movie. I thought that, um, I heard that there were, uh, and I'm sure this has probably been, you know, the kind of thing that's been in and out of the works for years, but we're actually turning one of your novels into a a film. Yeah, actually, I did a little web research on that yesterday. Yeah, Michelle Gondry has the option on my novel, Master of Space and Time. And he was saying it was going to be his next movie, and I figured after Science of Sleep he'd be digging into it. And he had Dan Klaus working on a script. And then, uh, but now I just found an interview of him in August, and it turns out uh, he got a, a contract with Hollywood to direct a movie called Be Kind Rewind, where Jack Black erases all the videos in a video store because he has a magnet in his head, and then he and his friend reshoot every one of the videos. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like a fun Gondry thing. But then they asked him, well, what is it about Master of Space and Time? And he said, well, I still want to do it because uh, I want to do a scene where the, we show the Big Bang and I don't use computer graphics. It's going to be the most elaborate non-computer graphic effect scene ever made. And Then he said, but it, it's hard to turn the novel into a movie because it's, uh, in some ways, uh, the attitude is sort of Underground and uh, not Hollywoody. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, but I, you know, it's it might just be that it's always been the next thing he's going to do, and it, it never is the thing that he actually does. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. it's. I think in March would be when the option runs out, and hopefully he'll renew the option mm-hmm. another year. And so, if it gets made into a, a movie and it makes a ton of money, will you get a lot of money too? Uh, well, the way that it. Well, the option you get, that's something you get every year, and that's not mm-hmm. a huge amount of money, but it's, mm-hmm. it's nice. And if mm-hmm. you get the option for five or ten years, you know, you're, you're making a nice little bit of money. Then if they actually make the movie, they have to pay me a larger sum of movie, mm-hmm. money, maybe a couple of hundred thousand, and then that would give them, that would be the purchase price. And mm-hmm. from then on, they do the accounting, and my guess is that after that, it would be unlikely that you would see much more money mm-hmm. because they're doing the accounting. <laughs> if you've ever uh-huh. gotten royalties from from companies, you, you sort of know how that works. Yeah, yeah. Like they say, yeah, they yeah. say you're you're you you get a certain amount after um, expenses, which of course their expenses could be everything. Yeah. So, yeah. I, well, I, even, I, with I no, even with novels, I think I mean maybe I'm probably Stephen King gets royalties, but <laughs> or the Rolling Stones, but yeah. I don't think too many other people. I mean, at least uh, it, it, the advance is what it's all about. 
But right. Yeah, and so I mean, get a couple. It'd be an interesting. It'd be a good time, I think, to maybe the movie's ready for a, or the 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 world is ready for a Rudy Rucker movie, given you know how much well, um, I, attention I to so. Philip I mean, a K. Lot of Dick. Them would be good movies. I mean, The Hacker and the Ants would be a great movie. Yeah. This new one would be pretty good. Or yeah. The Hollow Earth would be a very cool movie. Yeah. But, uh, it's at some point, you know how it is. If they make one and it does well, then it'll be obvious to them that they should be doing this. It's well, any science fiction writer. We're waiting for the the Philip K. Dick fairy to come, you know, sprinkle uh, <laughs> desirability. <laughs> exactly. On so I haven't uh, seen the new the the Philip K. Dick one. Um, oh, the the, the Rotus? scanner darkly. Mark, you saw it, didn't you? Yeah, but we didn't like it. We walked out. <laughs> I, w- I yeah, was like, I, the, I wasn't crazy about it. The whole time I was like just squinting so that I could see what the what it really looked like. Looked like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was such a stupid thing because Robert Downey is like he's a great actor and his face is so interesting. Yeah. And then they, they why paint him over with with pink posters paint? Yeah, it, it was just it's not a good. I don't like that technique because it just takes no, away from stupid. the. Yeah, uh, I mean, if they wanted the, to do the other. I was well, just going to say. It made it easier to do special effects, but that movie only really has one effect. It's the scramble, scramble suit. suit, which is really a very minor thing in the novel. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. hardly ever. It'll just be mentioned in passing, but there's so much screen time devoted to this 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 thing where, you know, he would just keep changing the drawing that was on top of somebody, and it was it was just kind of annoying. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, one thing though they did, which I really liked, they, he did pretty much use almost all the dialogue was straight out of the book. Which was good, mm-hmm. but yeah. But there, there was also the thing that because they're saying odd, unexpected things, and when somebody on the screen says that, and particularly if he's animated, it's a little harder to understand what he's saying because you don't actually have the correct mouth movements to go with it. No, so right. It was, I, I felt like the audience wasn't quite getting it, and I loved that book so much, and I felt anxious because I wanted them to, to like it enough, and so. I made a point of laughing real loud so the people around me would know they were having a good time. <laughs> and then when the lights came up, this kid next to me gave me this weird look. That's said, pretty funny. Yeah. I said, you want to score some D? <laughs> score some substance of D? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, Excellent. So uh, one thing that I just... We, we have to wrap this up soon because we've been on pretty long, but I... Uh, was looking at all you know you you've made available a lot of the the programs from artificial life lab and and the chaos uh-huh. the software which i think is really cool and I, I just was starting to get nostalgic of like you know the days of quick basic and and uh you know uh they were i think those ak dudeney books and and pickover yes. books that kind of stuff seems it's like that that era of experimentation is Sorry. over and i wonder if one of the reasons is because you know there isn't really quick basic anymore or something and it's not it I, I don't know it's it's strange to me mark that's i thought i mean that was to me the most exciting time and was in the 90s and it was a popular thing for for people to write little programs to create you know things like the mandelbrot set or yeah. or artificial life or flying birds and it seemed like i thought it would go on forever and then all at once it was like the web came and suddenly people lost interest in creating their own programs. I guess I guess that was it because 
before the web, you couldn't see anything interesting on your computer unless you mm-hmm. had a program generating things. Yeah, and, right. And these these cute little programs, you you pretty much they weren't that hard to write. And it was fun to write them. So yeah, you know what I loved doing was with that uh, with the manual you wrote for uh, for the chaos software. You described uh-huh. it good enough that I could just you know create my own quick basic versions like you know that uh-huh. the the uh, one that you have with the, the fake pen you know the pendulum with the magnets that you arrange and yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You it was so that, much fun yeah. yeah and it was just like i got so much out of it uh and yeah. it's, it's unfortunate well, it, that yeah it, I'm, I'm sorry that there is but it, you know it could be maybe there are people doing that but it's just it's gotten i don't know more image heavy now yeah more it's uh it's a strange thing. Yeah. Well, maybe it's, you know, like people were, you know, having fun with crystal radios and stuff, and now they've moved on. Yeah, I you don't, don't know. There aren't many guys making crystal radios. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now but you can... Now maybe, you can maybe there'll be some other type of hands-on activity that comes back. Uh, yeah. I mean, in a way, making a complicated web page is sort of like that. Yeah. And I guess, you know, Make Magazine is, is fun, uh, yeah, you're you're really a big exponent of that. I, I hear such good things about that magazine. Have you seen it yet? Yeah, yeah. I've oh, seen okay. It in the store. I, I haven't bought it because it's oh. like seventeen dollars. Yeah, well. But, but I always read it in the store. Cool. That's good. Good. But and my son reads it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's great. I think it's really neat because you've got that same old hands-on hacker ethic happening there and that's yeah. sort of what you were talking about in the about, physical world yeah. yeah and uh the physical world sort of lends itself to that yeah uh, maybe we could do something thing. about uh you know like finding what is is like I, i've heard of a program called liberty basic that's kind of like quick base maybe we could do something and make and and kind of reintroduce people to diy chaos uh that's a great idea, revisiting chaos. Yeah, because it's fun. I mean, yeah, God. Right. Like you or, said, it was... Yeah, well, maybe, what if people, would people write a program in any way? Wouldn't they write it in PHP, probably? Or? But I, 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 I don't know. I think ba- BASIC, for me, lent itself really well to that kind of stuff. Yeah. I had a lot yeah. of fun with BASIC, and then I kind of gave up once I got past Pascal. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Java stuff. was the, the last language I did. That was... Uh, that's nice too. I don't know. There's this other. There's this thing called Ajax that people use a lot now. Uh, that's came in since I retired. Yeah. So I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. Um, I've seen you know s- some cool, s- cool sites written in Ajax. All right, Rudy. Well, we're going to wrap it up. I guess. Okay, uh, boys. Well, thanks for calling me. Yeah, that was and, really uh, fun. This was great. Hopefully, we get to see you soon and give our love to the family, Rudy. Yeah, okay, good. Great. Okay. You're going to do this sometime. And uh, send me the link when it's done. We will. Good luck with everything. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.